Okay, welcome back. Yes, episode yes. 34, right? 34, 34. yes, sir, us. that is Ooh. correct. Yeah, Ooh. I know. I, and no dad jokes about 34. So no, we'll, well, we'll see. Right I mean, hmm. we'll, we'll just see. Maybe okay. someone will hit me. Yeah, and, and the, what might get hit over there is Ollie, and I'm Scott. Yeah, I'm Ollie, yeah. and he's Scott. Yep, that's yeah. what I said. Well, I, I said know. I said the reverse. I know. So we we are going to talk about uh, learning spaces today, and we're not going to talk about uh, our our design principles. Um, wow! Look what <laughs> well, I know. I know. You're, you're, uh, I know. Super I'm just gonna, unusual intro. Like I know it's like here's what we're going to talk about. Here's here, what here, we're not going to talk about. Yeah, I, don't don't look at what's under the basket over there because right. I don't want you to see that. I just want you to pay attention to me over here, not the bat. Don't look at the basket. Paint no no. No, don't, no. Don't, no don't well, as it. we were talking about this, like, and as we were sketching out, like, where we want to go, we realized that we need to have a, a conversation about, like, what is a learning space, and what, uh, what's the terminology everyone's using for this? Because there's been a lot of innovation. So some of this innovation's been going on for years, right? Some of the innovation, at least in the physical space, has been going on for you know five, seven, ten years with a lot of schools. And, you know, both at the K to 12 and at the higher ed, um, looking at like creative, innovative spaces, like they've uh, flexible seating, you know, um, you know, more open spaces for collaboration, uh, lots more uh, written um, spaces for like, you know, horizontal and vertical spaces for people to write on. So this, I mean, there's been really a lot of innovations and like, you know, and you know, these, there's like uh, companies that these, you know, furniture companies mm. and these design companies have jumped on board on this, both at the collegiate level and at the, you know, uh, the K to 12 level with, you know, throwing all sorts of desks and all sorts of like, you know, writing, you know, tables and writing walls and, you know, slotting things and, you know, all these like really bean shaped tables and circular tables mm. and half moon tables and, you know, and chairs that are like on, you know, on balls and, you know, stools on balls mm-hmm. and, you know, you know, this is, yeah. So there's been a lot of innovation that's been happening around this for, you know, you know, la- last decade, at least, right. At least the last decade, there's been a lot of, you know, and, and then there's also been all of this innovation that's been happening in the online world. Right. So, you know, w- w- gosh, and then the, w- the intersection of those two worlds, right. Have been also uh, creating some innovations. And so what, but, but let's take, can I take a step back for one second? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, so, so part of the question is like, why learning spaces and why do we want to talk about them? And I think one of the things to think about is, um, learning spaces are the infrastructure in which the learning happens. Right. right. And, and it's the stuff that's, that in, in many respects is often taken for granted or it's, it's, um, just sort of, I don't, it's not, it's not, um, it's not given over to the control of the people who are doing the teaching and learning. Let's put it that way. So right. whether you're using a MOOC, whether you're using an LMS, whether you're using a classroom on and in your school or on your campus or wherever, the place where learning happens is largely outside of the control of the people doing the teaching. And it also, in most cases, is largely um, disconnected from those people in terms of how they how those things are designed. So when LMSs are designed, they don't, I don't think, typically spend a lot of time talking with the faculty that are going to use them. And 
even from my point of view, more important people who actually understand learning. Um, and the same is true of classrooms and, and other learning spaces. Right. And, and I learned this when, um, well, I didn't learn this, but it really became clear to me uh, when I was appointed as the director of the Krauss Innovation Studio or the Krauss Studios for Innovation, as they're now known. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I was put on the committee to help design the space. And, it's, and, and I realized looking around the table that I was the only one who actually knew anything about learning from an academic right. point of view, right? Like my background was to study learning. Everybody else in that room was like office of physical plant or custodial or, you know, uh, registrar's office or whatever. Like there were all these people there who were representing the institution, but I was the only one representing the learning. And even if there had been content experts, you know, SMEs, as they call them on the, on the online development side, right. The right. subject matter experts, right. The, those folks don't know about teaching either. Like, and, and no offense to them yeah. because they're just not trained in it. Right. Like there's lots of stuff they know that we don't know. So it's sure. like, it's important to say that like there are like the architectural considerations, the, the, the technology considerations, those are important things, but we're designing, we're designing a technology, like a classroom is a technology, yep. right? It is, it's more, a, a, all learning spaces are in some ways a technology. And because they're a technology, they have some affordances and they have some biases. And we need to be really conscious of that, right? Because they will afford certain types of learning and they will bias others and they will bias participation and certain, and voices and all of that stuff is important to discuss and it's important for us to you know unpack because it really affects how people learn and yeah. how people teach right right and it and it's and you know it that infrastructure is ignored like as much as we've spent the first you know 30 episodes or so talking here um, the vast majority of what we've been talking about are the practices that happen inside these spaces right yes. so yeah. we're talking about like what do teachers do with kids in classrooms, in online environments, how do you how do you build communities? How do you <clears throat> support certain kinds of talk and certain kinds of practice? But but we've ignored something that Ali and I have been talking about for you know we were just saying this at least five years, if not longer, which is the the infrastructure that is built around those things to support it. And the original conversation was because Ali was doing a lot of work in online spaces and, and talking about online learning. And I was in that stage where I was developing the innovation studio and trying to think about, about how that was going to happen. Right. And so we in had a conversation. Spaces. Right. In physical spaces. And you and I were at a conference together and we had lunch together and, and a beer or two. And I yeah. think we, maybe. Just, I'm sure it was just one. Right. Yes. Cause it was lunchtime, right? Who's dude, dude has a right. beer at lunchtime. And yeah. And I think we sketched out some ideas on this on a, on a napkin about like what are some of the intersections across these spaces, and and I think that's the thing that is important is is for us to consider like these learning spaces are are different right we we view them as different, but the learning is the same right mm. and that's the critical part is so as we and and I think that. What the way we want to frame this episode is is not the way that they're the same, but to try to outline uh, the the learning that happens, right? And and also to try to get us on the same page in terms of some terminology, maybe in terms of you know, so that we're all like thinking about learning spaces in in the same sort of way. So if you've been on this journey with us, you know, continue with us a little bit as we start to you know start to focus 
rather than on the practices we're doing, but also spend a little bit of time talking about the spaces in which we do those practices. And, yeah, because I, I think what we're trying to get at here is, um, well, the whole, the whole purpose of the podcast that we're trying to get at is what is, what does a good learning environment look like? And, and so what we're now trying to think about it, or talk about is what is a good learning environment look like in terms of its infrastructure? So the, that we're going to, there'll be differences, of course, like physical classrooms and online classrooms are going to manifest that goodness in different ways. And we're going to talk about that, I think. Um, but the idea is, as Ali said, like if, if we have certain kinds of learning that are our goal, then it should be uh, that there are ways to think about those learning spaces to support that kind of uh, learning no matter what the environment is. And, right. and so as much as, yes, we have to take into account differences between these learning environments, there also should be ways to think across them, sort of principles, right, that cut across them and underlie the goodness of how these different uh, learning environments get designed. So can I, can I, because we are using some terms like almost synonymously. Yes, and yes, so I want to like, because I, I think you and I have been intentional with calling certain things learning spaces, right? And then there's also, we kind of will transition into calling them learning environments and then classroom environments. And then I've also seen people use the term ecosystems, right? And classroom mm -hmm. ecosystems. Yeah. Um, you, which ones do you gravitate to and, and why? Is there like one that you're like, hey, you know, I'm, I, because I, I, I think I gravitate to learning spaces and learning environments. Mm -hmm. um, I really like the ecosystem one, but I think it's just foreign to a lot of people. So I try to avoid that. But what about, what about you? Is there like one that you really think that it? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think, um, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I generally prefer learning environments because for me, it's more inclusive than learning spaces. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of that, as is so, so often true with language, is more about how you define or interpret the word space in yeah. learning spaces. That's exactly where I was going, right? Yeah, so... But I think part of the problem with learning spaces is that it's mostly now been co-opted into, um, as you were saying, these sort of physical learning environments mm -hmm. where, you know, furniture companies or whatever have pivoted from when they were working in businesses and they were doing all this work in businesses to redevine, uh, redesign the business workplace. And, and then they realize, oh, universities are a great new environment for us to try and, and, and work with. And so, and maybe at the same time, universities were trying to rethink themselves a little bit. Um, so learning spaces for me gets associated with, with higher ed in particular, sure. um, and the idea of physical space, um, regardless of whether it's in higher ed or not. So I guess I do lean towards learning environments. And part of that too, is my background which was like a technology focused background. And, and a lot of the work that I did in learning sciences and technology, both at the University of Michigan and at Penn State were focused on learning environment design. But in that case, it was online learning environments. So it yeah. was, you know, learning environments for kids that are, that are online. So, so yeah, I, I prefer learning environments. That's yeah, a I, long answer. I, I think that's, that's what I gravitate to, to only uh, because I think that the space uh, like you said, uh, was is something that it, it connotes, you know, physical space, right? It's really hard to think about digital, like online space, like, you know, in the same way. And so I think that a learning environment, I think is, and if you talk about classrooms, same way, right? When you talk about classroom, even though like a, you know, a, I don't know, a learning management system, 
is, you know, creates classrooms, right? And they're online classrooms or a Zoom would create a classroom. Um, we don't really think of them in the same way that we would th see a physical classroom. And so I think that, that just that the, the term, you know, connotes that physical space. And so I think environments is much more inclusive. And I think that we can think about, you know, the in environmental space, you know, digitally, online, it's, you know, and physically all the same way. And, and I think that's more inclusive. I really like the ecosystem, you know, because it's, uh, I think it better captures, you know, this is from uh, a book from Zhao, where like the, the mistakes uh, that people make in ed tech, I think uh, I can look up the specific text. Um, but he, he talks about it a lot in as an ecosystem. And I think it captures better the complexity of it, right? I like that because of the complexity that it, you know, uh, seems to suggest, right? It, you know, environment environments are, you know, complex, but yeah. I think ecosystem, you know, kicks it up a notch. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And, and I think when you were, when you were talking, it made me think of, you know, one of the big shifts I think we've seen and a reason to stick with learning environments for me is that um, when you and I were writing on that that um napkin in the in the bar not having beer um having just beer. just having lunch it just yeah um and uh and we were talking about this like at that point the sort of online world and the and the face to face world were pretty distinct right so it was like okay i think about physical learning spaces you think it so it felt almost novel to talk about things that cut across them but now in the last year as a result of the pandemic we've seen that those barriers have largely been smashed so we now have like online learning environments which are you know there's all this new terminology as you say but like online means basically you're not on a video of any kind you're basically doing stuff um, with text interacting with or other objects, but you're interacting with a with a static interface, um, and and there may be you know message boards and things, but those are static in a sense too. And then there's the classroom environments, which have changed a lot, um, yeah. just in terms of the way that you have to distance and all this other stuff. But then this whole new thing has exploded, which is this what what I think we now think of as remote, which is your your synchronous you know we and we talked about this but like synchronous online environments were a really niche thing like they they were not seen as efficient like at penn state the world campus doesn't allow it like everything has to be asynchronous because you've got people all over the world right. and you don't want them having to sit at their computers all at the same time if they're you know if it's two in the morning for them so but now remote is is huge right and so this idea now is has um, smeared across these two um, learning environments that used to be pretty separate and created a, a really a, a whole dimension of different learning environments that are from fully online to fully fully face-to-face -face with a bunch of remote stuff sort of smeared in between it. And so I think even more now there's, there's merit in talking about how do we design for these because so many of you know, so many universities now, and I, th and I think schools now are thinking about like, well, how do we make this a permanent thing? How do we make it so that some of our kids are remote and some of our kids are face-to-face -face because, because reasons, right? Lots of reasons. Right. Um, so I think that part is probably not going away to some degree. And so now I think is a really important time to think about how do we design these places and spaces. Yeah. So the book I was referencing is uh, Never Send a Human to Do a Machine's Job, correcting the top five ed tech mistakes. And this is by 
Zao at all. And that's from like a handful of years ago. I just thought I'd throw it out there. We'll put that in the show notes. Interesting. Um, so wait a minute, read that title again. Cause it felt backwards to me. So I want to hear it again. Never send a human to do a machine's job. Yeah. That for, so I would, if I was going to write a book, I'd write a book. That's exactly the opposite of that. Sure. Never send a machine to do a human's job, but okay. Well, no, but I think that if you read the book, you, you would, it, you would actually find a lot of um, complimentary um, ideas. I think it, mm. it doesn't seem, I mean, the idea for, that, that the, the authors present is that there are things that humans are good at and there are things that, that machines are good at and we need to recognize this. So this is like, you know, other authors have made the same, you know, there's, uh, what's that, uh, Antonio, uh, not Antonio Banderas. Banderas, uh, that's what I was going to say. No, okay. no. no, Jose uh, Antonio, what's his last name? He's, uh, he wrote the, the Naked Professor, the Na- uh, Teaching Naked, that's his book. Huh? Um, and it, okay. same sort of thing, where he's, he talks about the, uh, the idea is that there are things that our computers are good at, things that our technology is good at, and there are things that are humans. And it comes back to your premise from last week and also from your blog post is that, you know, humans are good for relational stuff and technology is not. And yeah. so stay in our lane. And, and Zal talks about it from a dancing with robots. That's his, that's his, you know, his metaphor. metaphor. His metaphor is you dance with a robot that you, you have to, you know, understand the ebbs and flows and the, you know, the, the, the moves that you have to make in terms of being able to coordinate with that technology uh, to be able to do it successfully. And so that's his premise. Interesting. Now, we could unpack that if we want, but not today, funny. not today. No, not today. Not really. We have more important business. Yeah. So the, the, so these learning spaces, like I think that these learning spaces, learning environments, mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. where, I, I feel like just talking a little bit about it in terms of the terminologies, I, I think it is somewhat important. Like, you know, cause I, if we throw out like these, like blended, like when, when traditionally we had these blended learning environments and we had, you know, these flip classrooms versus, you know, station rotation models versus, you know, all the other things, you know, those, those were a pretty traditional approach but they were innovative, right? At the time, and mm-hmm. you look at, look back like a year or two ago. I like I like two years ago. I was teaching a class on just on blended learning, and it, it was like station rotation models. Like it was like shocking, and it was like you know, <laughs> no, really. I mean, it was. Like, you blush a little to even. Talk I know, about. I know, but it does. It it is something that at the time was very innovative, and there was you know books written on how to do this, and lots of you know, scaffolds for how to get students to this with the idea that, you know, that you were going to be taking some of your face-to-face space and, and dedicating it to online learning and then, you know, rotating through students through different stations. This is the station rotation model where they would go, okay, they're going to spend some time in a face-to-face, you know, uh, you know, instruction, you know, collaboration, something. Sure. And, some students will move to an online thing and some students would then move to like some sort of you know, application thing. And then some students would do something and they would rotate through these different stations, you know, and this is pretty, you know, if you, if you're an elementary teacher, you're re- hearing this and going, yeah, I do that all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, but the idea was, is that the incorporation of some online learning in that, like whether it was going to be, they're watching some video from Khan Academy or YouTube or whatever, um, where they're going to get some sort of information from that, from a didactic, you know, passive, some, maybe somewhat interactive um, modality, but then they would cycle through and then apply that and do something else with it and go, and then go through. And so the 
the, the real advantage with that is that you could take a, a group of students, like maybe 25 students, and now make the group into like four students at a time that are doing this thing. So you're working with four students. And then, so again, it comes back to that, you know, dancing with robots thing is that you can use the technology to actually run to building more relational types things with students, mm-hmm. right? And that's the real advantage is it's not that, hey, we can, you know, put our feet up and drink coffee and read the newspaper. That's not the goal. The goal right. is to to help you to get to the other things that that are more important, that are important, you know, yeah. maybe not more important, but really important, right? No, they are more important. I mean, I think, you know, going to what you just said about this transactional versus relational thing, yeah. I mean, I think that is fundamental and, um, and, you know, maybe one of the principles or something, but certainly is one of the things that, that define good learning environments is one that's relational instead of transactional. Right. And, and so thinking about what that looks like uh, in, in these different contexts with these different tools as the infrastructure for supporting learning, I think that those are the kinds of questions that we're interested in is right. how, how do we do that kind of thing? I mean, I think the other, the other distinction um, that, that I've been thinking about lately in, in other, in another context, in the context of teaching and, and, teaching uh, talk moves to, to pre-service teachers is this idea of like functional versus purposeful. So I think one of the things that often happens with learning environments is you're focused really on the functional, like what, what is, what is the learning environment going to do as opposed to what is the larger purpose of the learning? And, and so you get lost in the, in the sort of forest for the trees um, of, you know, like I can remember, being in these design meetings and people are talking about like, well, this is the kind of tablet arm we want in these rooms because I can stand on it and jump up and down and won't break. it's like, well, that's, I mean, I guess that's a criteria we want to use, but do we first want to ask ourselves, do we want a bunch of rooms with uh, bolted down chairs and tablet arms before we decide that this is the great tablet arm to use because it won't break off. So you know, this, this question of like, how do we, you know, what, what is the first, what is the primary thing that we use to design learning environments? And, uh, and is it about like, can the custodians fit their broom down the, down the aisle? Or is it, is it something about the learning? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go nerdy right here. Okay. Please. I'm just put, putting it out there. Right. So what I, I think the, the question we have to determine is what, what is the prime directive? Oh, so that is nerdy. It is. Do, do but, you want to contextualize that for people who are not Star Trek nerds? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm to... sure everyone who listens to this is probably enough of a Star Trek nerd to recognize that much. Well, this is the, uh, this is like one of the fundamental ideas in, in. Well, Star it's got to be one. It's the prime. But, directive. Right. It is the, <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's the thing, right? You're right. Um, And it's, it's the well. It's the guiding principle, right, uh, for right. all of the Star Trek universe. And and the prime directive is that you can't interfere in other cultures, in other you know planets. So yeah. they could. So it was all about you know if they visited a planet or they visited uh, a, a system, they could observe, but they couldn't interfere. Now the thing is they. I think almost every episode they violated the prime directive, you know, but that's yeah. going, but that was an aside. Yeah. What the coming back to our focus is <laughs> what, what is the prime directive of learning spaces? 
or directives, maybe. It may be right. that there's more than one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, I think <clears throat> that is the, the thing to, to frame it. I mean, cause I, you know, as you know, not to cycle back to, you know, these blended learning environments, but I think when we look at like flipped environments or like station rotation or anything, all of them were like, again, trying to figure out ways to use technology to get us back to relational things. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. flip classrooms were like, okay, we're going to put some, have students, you know, learn these, this content online and apply it in a face-to-face environment so that we can, you know, then work with students one-on-one. And it was all about like, how do we do this thing with technology to help us run to, you know, relational, interactive, collaborative, application-based, you know, learning. That's mm-hmm. that was the intent, and I think that that might be stuff that people missed in in all of that. And I think it's stuff that maybe some people are missing now, is that you know that we should be using technology to try to get us back to those spaces. Right, but uh, you know, and, and I know this is my hobby horse because I've been thinking about it lately. So you're, I, I'm, I'm apologizing in advance for this, but this functional purposeful thing is has been you know one of the things I'm thinking about, and and um, you know. I think one of the problems is a lot of the ways that we describe what you're just talking about, this sort of move back to trying to get relational learning environments through these techniques, right? So through, through station rotation or through grouping or whatever, like whatever we're doing, breakout rooms. Um, The problem is that when we talk about those things, we often don't talk about them in terms of the prime directive. We talk about them in terms of the function. And, and as a result, what happens is, learn uh, teachers, whether that they're online or, or face-to-face or whatever, treat those things as if they're scripts because they're functional. So they just say, okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put kids in groups or what I'm going to do is I'm going to do station rotation. And it's like, well, okay, but that's that in and of itself, just changing the function that way doesn't actually necessarily change the purpose. And I think this is one of the challenges that you see with, with the physical learning environments in higher ed that I saw, right? Which is they do all this work and spend all this money to rearrange the, the physical classroom, but the, the people, the instructors still see the purpose as being the same as it was. So now it becomes this weird space where they're trying to do what they normally do in a space that's not really suited for it. Um, and so it feels awkward and strange. And so then they sort of adapt, but they don't know how to adapt because they don't know, they don't really haven't really got their head around the purpose. And so there isn't a, a good change. And so then those, if somebody gets frustrated, either the students or the faculty or whoever, and they say, forget it. Like, I'm done with this. I, I, want, I just want to go back to what I know. And I'm, I'm exhausted from trying to do this other thing. And so I think, I think there's so many downstream effects of us not talking about these principles, the prime directives of, of learning that, um, that guide all this other functional stuff. So all this, you know, I used to talk about like re- rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's like, yeah. well, you know, doing all that stuff, if you don't understand the different purpose, all you're doing is, is superficial change. And, and we're not looking for that. You and I aren't interested in superficial change. We're, we're interested in fundamental change. And that requires, you know, understanding the purposes. And so I think that's what we're really saying is, is for the next few episodes, we're going to try and talk in some depth about what these purposes are so that when we, when we start talking about the, all these functional things, like, station rotation and flip classrooms and blah and whatever it is. Right. And I'm not denigrating any of those specifically. I'm just saying when we start talking about those things, then we can transition into what 
how do we link those to the underlying purposes that we're trying to get at? And I, I think the, the important thing is, is why are we having this conversation? Why are we framing it this way? And, and I think that what you and I have learned from, you know, working in this space for however long we've been working in this is that many, t- many years, many years is that just infusing technology in or changing the technology doesn't change the practice. Right. I mean, it doesn't. And if we've been talking about like practice, practice, practice for the last 30 some episodes, and then we now are talking about the technology, whether it's classrooms or all the other things, right. The technology. I mean, if we look at the, like, let's just change just a a bit, like the one-to-one movement. So Mm one-to-one movements is like, you know, there's been a lot of research over the years about uh, one-to-one innovations. And these are like when we buy a, a laptop or a device per student in a classroom. Um, the research shows that that has, you know, a marginal, uh, you know, impact for a very small period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, unless there's intentional discussion and professional de- development that's ongoing, it has very little impact, sustainable impact on people's practice. What they find is that they just end up using the technology to, to support their traditional instruction. Mm-hmm. That's what they learn. And that, and there's this like two year slump, like for a year, there's like all this innovation. And then the second year there's a slump. They just go back to teaching the way they do. And so the technology doesn't drive the innovation. It doesn't. And so we need to have some talk about how do we, you know, think about those spaces, those changes in, you know, technologies, whether it's, you know, classroom environments or whether it's, you know, use of online learning or whatever it is about how do we, focus on practice when we do that and that's where i think the you know design prime directives come in right is yeah and i think and i think the the fundamental problem often is that the technology because one of the fundamental things that technology does is it allows us typically to do things more more efficiently and faster right once we define the thing that we're trying to accomplish then we design a technology that helps us do that more efficiently defined by the people who design the technology and faster. Um, but the problem is uh, that, you know, it's, it's the, it's the uh, Stephen Covey thing. Like, is your ladder against the right wall? Cause if you're going up the ladder really fast uh, only to get to the top of it, to find out that it was leaning against the wrong wall, then you've done, you've done yourself a disservice. You've spent a lot of time doing all this work. And I think that's what we're talking about here is, you know, we we design these technologies and and they help us do things faster and more efficiently, and then we end up using them to do the wrong things faster and more efficiently, and so we do more bad than we do good. Um, and so I think we really have to think about, you know, again, this question of like, what are we trying to accomplish? What ladder is our wall against? What is our purpose? What is our what are our principles? What are our prime directive? What what is that thing? That has to be crystal clear before we start replacing things, because otherwise we get this, you know, like you and I both went through this. Well, we all went through it, but you and I talked about it, which was this MOOC thing, right? Which is like MOOCs are going to destroy universities, right? Like everybody's just going to learn through a MOOC. And what those people who were saying that didn't fundamentally understand is that that was not a shift in purpose. It was actually an acceleration that was running up the same old ladder faster and faster. And so MOOCs, have essentially died out. I mean, they have a niche role yeah. in in the educational ecosystem, but they but they 
they certainly didn't transform universities and they barely had an impact on the educational landscape. And I think the reason for that is pretty obvious is they didn't, they didn't understand the purpose of learning. And as a result, they went really fast up a ladder that was against the wrong wall. And so now, you know, we're, we're trying to say, let's take a step back and think about purposes here and think about the prime directives and, and name those and be explicit about them. And then think about how those applications play out in real classrooms, whether those classrooms are online, remote, or face-to-face. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's it right there. There it is. There it is. That's the, that's the framing of our conversation that we're going to have over the next couple episodes or so. Yeah. 30 Um, or so. Who knows? The next 70 episodes. (laughs) No. Um, But I, but I think that, you know, us talking about learning environments, talking about, because I mean, regardless of how things flesh out over the next, you know, three months versus, you know, you know, in schools are coming back to to some, you know, face-to-face remote instruction. Um, But I think that it's as we go into the fall and and we're going to start to see some other creative ways of having students in schools and at home. And, 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 and I think that having a discussion about how to do this and how to do this specifically around science, you know, and so these, I mean, hopefully these, these prime directives, these, you know, these learning principles will be things that can apply to lots of different content areas and lots of different learning environments if we do them well, right? I mean, that's, that's the goal. That's the nature of a principle is it should right. be useful in lots of different places. Right, it should be. And, and, and we'll see, and we're hoping to maybe hear from some of you to push back a little bit. Um, but, you know, we're going to have that conversation with all of you over the next few weeks. So Yeah. yeah. But now we're going to talk about things that bring us joy. Yeah, I got a good one. Oh, well, then you should go. You're, you're coming in hot. I am. Well, you know, uh, I, I don't know. Do you know the Frederick Bachman books? You know who this is? You know, mm-hmm. uh, Ove, uh, Beartown and, and all that. And uh, so I, I would say that like they've, they've adapted, they did Ove as a movie a, f- a few years ago. And it was just, you know, the books are awesome. The books are so good. They're so like, uh, you know, they just strip you down to your emotional core. Um and we just kind of happened on Beartown on HBO Max. There's a oh. five episode series. This and I like, did not know. I did not know it either. And so that's why I was excited to share because we found it just a couple nights ago and we've binge watched like like three of the five episodes and it's really good. And um, I mean, I think some of the characters could be more developed, um, but it, mo- for the most part, it's a really good adaptation. I mean, when you figure when they're spending, you know, an hour an episode going into the characters, you know, over five episodes, they're spending five hours talking about the book and developing the, the storyline. There's a couple characters I wish they did a little bit more with that were really central in the book. Um, but that was one of my favorite books of, of the Bachman series. Um, yeah, nice. so check it out. Bear Town. It's actually it's just it's in Swedish. <laughs> I need to say that. It's just, a, just be warned. Be warned. It is in Swedish. I don't speak uh Swedish, but I mm. uh can read subtitles. And so good for is, you. I'm know, proud of you. I know. But so so, I, I feel like we need to do some sort of shout out to Jason Petula here for know, you know should. just for Swedish things. He is he's our uh Swedish ambassador. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, shout out to jason p because you know he's listening oh no he's not 
No, he's like podcast. He's like no. Podcast? What is that? I don't understand that. Is that is that like radio that doesn't work as well? I don't right. understand. What what channel is that on? Yeah. Sorry, that's that's okay. Now now we not only shouted out to him, we slagged him pretty hard. Well, you know, that that comes with the territory. Yeah, you, you get what you get, and you don't get upset. Right. He that's, would be doing it with us. You know, we'd Probably. be on the we'd be yes. on the uh, receiving end of receiving that. Receiving end. If if he was here, but he's not, and he won't hear this, so it'll be fine. Right. Don't tell him. Shh, don't tell Shh, him. Nobody. <laughs> if you know Jason Petula, do not mention this to him. Yeah. All, All right. right. What, what about you, Joyce? Um. So, joys this week. Um. I think. Yeah, I had one, and now I've forgotten it. But I. But. But I'm gonna um, talk about a book I'm reading. So I'm reading, uh, and now I'm not gonna remember his name. So let me do a little quick googling. Um, so I'm reading um, when I talk about what I talk about when I talk about running. What okay. I talk. Okay. What I oh his his book's right there. Um, so I should be able to do this. Um, is Haruki Marukami probably butchered that name but um he's best known probably for the wind up bird chronicles um but he also wrote a book called 1q84 that's a great novel um it's very his his work is really sort of mind-bendingly interesting you know it's not it's not sort of straight ahead fiction but it's very they're very cool books and he wrote this book called um what I talk about when I talk about running, which is a memoir because he's, he started running and writing at the same time um, in 1983, basically, and sort of has done both his whole life. And it talks about his, how he got started in both writing and running and how he sees the relationship between those and, and what it's got me thinking about. Um, and I've read this book before. I, it's one of those ones that I occasionally return to. I've, I haven't read it that many times, but, um, but it's, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a struggling writer. Um, this is a thing that I have, uh, a, 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 as most academics, uh, especially, uh, mediocre academics like myself, like Isn't we have everyone we, a struggling writer. I mean, yeah, everyone is a struggling writer. I guess so. So, um, so he talks about it in, in pretty stark terms about, you know, comparing it to running, which is to say, if you want to be a writer, the way to be a writer is to write. And that means that you write every day and you it's, it becomes a practice. So it's got me thinking not only about writing, which, you know, I'm trying to think more about, but also um, just about practice, which I feel like I think a lot about, um, but the meaning of it, you know, we talk about practice here a lot, but practice comes up in so many places, practice in meditation, practice in running, practice in writing, practice in teaching. And so, so, I'm rereading that uh, uh, and some other books that are helping me, I think, think through this idea of, of practice and its role in our life and how do we, how do we do it and what makes it a practice. And uh, so it's, it's a great book. It's a short book. It's really just little stories that he tells about his own sort of experience with running um, and with writing. And, uh, and he's a, you know, he's a good author, obviously, and, and interesting to read. So, so I recommend. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So Joyce, Joyce for the week. Joyce both, for the both, week. Both related to, to writing and, and reading. That's right. Uh, except for mine's, uh, you know, watching something that I've read. So Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Well, you know, it's like, you know, this is like the big debate about if you listen to an audiobook, are you reading or are you listening? Yeah, mm. that's a good I did uh, How to Be an Anti Racist. I read that yeah. and I listened to it. I did both. Oh, interesting. And, 
were they both I, reading the book? See, that's the question. That, I, I will say I got uh, different things out of both of them. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, because I yeah. got to hear Kendi read it to me. Yeah. And which is, you know, his intonations, his. So I, so now he feels like a friend of the show is what you're saying. Right. He is. There's yeah. there's but that we're never going to effort that. That's never no. going to happen. No. Right. I'm no. just. Uh, yeah. I'm not even joking about that being the thing that's going to yeah. happen. But right. um, yeah. well, that's, I think, a good place for us to end on, you yes. know, you know, us wishing we had more friends of the show of that caliber. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So sad. But we have the friends we have. And that we should be joyful for. You get what you get and you don't get upset. Nice. You don't, you don't count the friends you don't have. You count the friends you do have. Wow. That's see. Yeah. Write that down. I I don't count the friends at all. I just. Come on. I I don't know how many. I bet you got a little tally mark in your your notebook. And I'm just subtracting one right there. Made a new friend today. (laughs) I'm just subtracting, erasing one right there. Taking Scott off the list again. Yes. We'll see if you can <laughs> You're see, earn your way back, brother. <laughs> see, see if you can get back on the list. You're like Santa Claus. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is a, this is a fun intro conversation around learning environments. And yes, catch you catch you next time. Yeah, in between. See you then.